All right, find a spot, hopefully the same spot you're already in, although I guess if you want to, you can move. It's up to you. Um, well, welcome to Finding Life. If I haven't met you, my name is Jake Brower. We totally blew it this morning and didn't get any of our worship flyers printed up, which usually has like a nice tear-off that I can say, hey, here's the tear-off. Fill this information out. We want to connect with you if you're brand new and put it in the baskets when they come by, which also didn't happen this morning. So sorry about that. It will happen at the end um, so if you have anything, if you're new with us and you have anything to give us your information because you want to get connected, we want to help you get connected. So that's our spiel. Uh, just tear off a piece of paper from your whatever you've got and drop it in the basket when it comes by during the last song, all right? But we want to connect with you. So don't want to leave this morning without you feeling like what Travis said is absolutely true, that we, we want to be a place where people can connect and not only connect, but connect deeply in real relationships. And, and part of what we recognize is that doesn't really happen in a place like this. We would love it if, it if that did happen, but the reality is, in a large group setting, you don't connect on a deep level. So we want to find ways for you to get connected um, because we believe that this community is full of people that are just awesome people. So um, it's good to be with you. It's good to worship God this morning. This kind of thing does my heart good from, from time to time. I love like drums and loud music and that kind of stuff, but every once in a while, like the way that God stirs in my heart, um, when we bring it down a little bit, um, and have the opportunity just to reflect on who he is. That song that we just sang, um, Lord, I'm Amazed by You, is one of my all-time favorite songs, and maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. We used to sing it a lot. Um, but it, it ministers to my soul because, because everything about a morning like this, everything that I want to share with you, everything that you're going to hear me say, everything I would love for you to understand and live in in the everyday moments of your life are wrapped up in the bridge of that song. How deep, how wide is the love of Christ? It is so wide, it is so unfathomable, it is so completely perfect that you can rest in the power of it every single day. And, and really, life on this earth is, is, is really about moving deeper into an understanding of what that means. And learning what it means to live empowered by the love of Christ, empowered by, by the fact that the creator of the universe, the, the maker of the stars, he knows them by name, he, he knows you intimately, loves you completely. And I'm somehow struck by how important it is for us to be reminded of that, especially this morning. And maybe it's because there's somebody in this room who's, who's uniquely struggling with that right now. And we sang a song that, that basically said, how could you, how can it be that you would love me like this? And, and I think those are good questions for us to ask, because in a lot of ways it doesn't make any sense. But the profound reality is that our God, this God that we worship, he does. He's so completely thrilled with you. And if if you don't hear anything else this morning, that is my prayer, is, is that you hear that, or that overrides anything else you might hear. The power of God's love is where we can, are invited to live every day of our lives, and I think, I know that it is absolutely transformational. So as we dive in this morning, I just kind of as a backdrop would love for you to know that and feel that maybe more today than you ever have before. Your God is thrilled with you. Um, last week we dove in. Um, to Exodus chapter 19. Maybe you haven't spent a lot of time in the book of Exodus, but we are doing that um, a little bit right now. We're in this series that's sort of like a refocusing. It's called um, In Focus, and we're, we're really looking at the, the guts or the, the operating system, the, the, the foundation of Finding Life Church. Why do we exist? And maybe you've noticed this over the last five weeks. You haven't really heard me talk about the church a whole lot. I've been talking about us as individuals. Because the reality is we've got to start with understanding first, what is God up to in the world? What is he doing? What is he about? 
And where can we jump on board with what's already going on, what he's already doing? And so we talked about this sort of abstract idea of the kingdom, right? Jesus came to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And then when he left, he gave us that same ministry, bringing the kingdom here, becoming people that are about restoration, not tearing down, about reconciliation, not division, right? We have these moments throughout our day. Hopefully you're starting to see them and sense them where we can actually bring the kingdom of heaven here, make heaven come to earth, make the world, this earth, feel a little bit, a little bit like heaven. And every time we do that, it creates these spaces in the lives of real people, broken people, um, just as we are broken. It creates this space that we could enter into and be these life givers. And we moved on to the second part of that series. We've been talking about what it really means to be who we are within those spaces. What authority do we have with this, king, this kingdom space? What does God really want from us? And last week I introduced this, this strange, maybe scary, maybe really weird, maybe still wrapping your head around it concept. Um, our truth last week was, I am a priest. And what, whatever the, like the, the stuff or the baggage that comes with that word for you, um, it's probably different for everybody, but the reality is, is what it means to be a priest is that we are people who build bridges to, um, to our God, to the grace, the hope, the life that comes in relationship with Jesus. And we talked about how he is, Jesus came as our perfect priest to give us full access to God. And he left us in charge of doing the same thing, embracing our identity as priests. So the climax of Exodus 19, it's a story of, of God essentially identifying his people, the Israelites, right, in the book of Exodus, identifying them as a, a nation of priests. It says this, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession. Among all the peoples, all of the earth is mine, and you shall be to me, and here it is, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. This is God talking to Moses, who would relay this info to the people this really incredibly cool moment. Then we looked at 1 Peter 2.9, a passage that reiterates the exact same identity, but it, it's an extension to every single person who claims Jesus Christ as their Lord, as their Savior, as their God. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In all cases, in this life, Identity precedes behavior. Who we believe we are will always dictate the way that we act. So if we want to change the way we act, we need to change the way we identify ourselves. In a lot of ways, that's what the series is about. Um, when I look at who we as a church are, and when I use that phrase church, it's sort of like you know, the big picture, like church in general. When I look at who we are, and I think about who we are called to be, and the gap that exists there, it makes me wonder if we have, as a church, an identity crisis. The church as a whole lives in this con constant identity crisis. Who are we? And I think the biggest reason is because we identify ourselves by what we do, by the, the trappings, the stuff, the programs, like uh, the way that we gather, the kind of songs that we sing. What kind of church is that one? Well, that one's a contemporary one, or that one's a traditional one, or whatever. And these become our identity and the reality is God is, is saying, no, it, it, behavior doesn't, can't come first. Identity has to precede behavior. And even in, in the book of Exodus, in this scene, in this moment, God is calling them to believe that their identity is what dictates their behavior. So we come to them in Exodus 19, and he says, okay, you're going to be a kingdom of priests. But then something crazy happens, crazy happens in chapter 20. 
And maybe you know this, maybe you know this chapter, even if you don't know it, you probably know it. This is where Moses goes back up to the mountain and he says, okay, God, um, your people said, sweet, deal's on. We'll be your kingdom of priests and, and you'll take care of us and good, this is awesome. Um, and, and God gives him what we call today the Ten Commandments. It's written on these tablets and he comes back down from the mountain and he says, okay, um, here's what it means to live as kingdom of priests. This is what it means. And he gave them what we call the law. Um, we are people called out of darkness into the wonderful light of our Savior for the purpose of being kingdom space creators. And within these kingdom spaces, bridging the gap between broken humanity and, he and healing and giving hope to a world that's so in such desperate need of it. And God knew that about these people when he gave them these commandments. When he said, here you go. This is what I have for you. This is what I want it to look like. If you want to obey my commands, you need to do these things. You need to do these things. These are what are most important. This is what it means to look like a priest. Jesus showed us then what it meant to look like and live like a priest in Hebrews chapter 4. So then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe this high priest of ours understands our weakness. Jesus as our high priest. For he faced all the same things that we do, yet did not sin. So let us then come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and will find grace to help us when we need it most. He did it for us so we could do it. We could live as priests in the world that we live in now. He did it on our behalf. But how do we do that? What does that mean? And I want to begin back at Exodus chapter 19 to start to answer that question. And the key phrase is in the first sentence, the first verse, verse 5. Now then, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. What did this mean for them? What did this look like for them? Exodus chapter 20 tells us Obey the Ten Commandments. Obey the law. In chapter 19, God calls the people to embrace a new identity as priests. Then chapter 20, he shows them how. And the answer is simple. Living as, as a priest means embrace who you are and obey what I tell you to do. It's that simple. That's where it begins. That's where it ends. Jesus begins by, by calling people to live as set apart, as different. That in essence the same, is the same calling that he has for us today. He words it a little differently. So Jesus, or God says to the people of Israel, obey my commands. And then he gives them a list of rules, a list of laws. Okay? Um, in Matthew chapter 5, in the with the same sentiment, just say, stated slightly different, Jesus says the same thing. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you're the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Do you hear it? Can you sense it? Jesus is essentially saying the same thing that God said to the people of Israel on that mountain. Your job is to be set apart to show the world what I am like, to be bridge builders, to be a kingdom of priests. Both passages are saying the same thing. When God called the people of Israel to be a kingdom of priests, he quickly moved into addressing the, matter, the manner in which they lived. Why? Because their lives mattered. Because our lives matter. And, and we really sense this as, as true when you consider the reputation of the church in our world today. And I know I beat this like dead horse all the time, but the problem is if, if we don't recognize it, it can never change. 
Um, if it's our job to show the world what God is like, how are we doing, church? How are we doing collectively as a whole? Well, ask the opinions of people that you live and work and play with. What do you think? Because the way we live matters. It's our truth today. If you had an outline, because I had printed it, you'd be able to see it at the top of, your, uh, at the, top of the page. Um, but our truth today is my life matters. The way I live my life matters. It's the same deal. It's the same covenant with a subtle shift. Jesus came to establish this new covenant, right? God made a covenant with his people on Mount Sinai when he came to them and he said, I want to make you a kingdom of priests. Just obey my commands and we're good to go. And they made that deal. Well, Jesus is making the same covenant with us, but a slight and subtle shift, okay? In the Bible, it's called the new covenant in the blood of Jesus. So there is a subtle shift that I want you to connect with. The covenant, and here it is, just listen to these, the, the difference. The covenant God made with his people in Exodus 19 served the purpose of keeping a holy God happy and a broken people useful. Like there's this, this chasm between a holy God and a broken people. When Jesus bridged that gap, a new covenant was created. This new covenant was for the purpose of keeping broken people in intimate relationship with a holy God. Jesus made, made God accessible to us, to us broken people people and this is the the subtle shift in this new covenant and it's a powerful one it's an important one for us to connect with because we don't have to we don't we don't have to to see our lives as behavior driven and the truth is God never intended for our lives to be behavior driven even in Exodus chapter 19 he started with identity right it never it never was about behavior first but the way we live our lives matters because people matter and we are as Christians, we are the only or the greatest or the most significant apologetic for the Christian faith. If people are exploring, are wondering, the first place they're going to look is the lives of the people who claim Jesus Christ. And if they look at us and they see nothing inspiring, nothing powerful, nothing significant, then they're just going to keep walking by because our lives, they matter. So for the remainder of our time um, and for the purpose of understanding this truth a little more deeply, um, I want you to turn to John chapter 15. Um, this week as I was praying and preparing, uh, I, my, like I had this, this one question that kept coming to mind. How do I make this, this priest, priesthood idea like come to life? And not only come to life, but give, give you all, all of us, um, something like tangible to grab onto, to cling to, to begin moving into a better understanding of what this is and how we live it out. Because it's one thing to identify as priests. It's a whole other thing to go, okay, now what? Now what do, you, what do we do? How do we live? Um, and in the meantime, I felt like God laid this, this passage on my heart, and it's maybe one you've heard before, um, but it's Jesus, and he's talking, and he's, and he's using illustrations um, to talk about the kingdom again, because he always did this. I mean, he's talking about um, our relationship with God and our relationship to the world and the mission that he has us set on, and there's so many amazing themes in this one passage. I just want to read it, um, and then we're going to talk about it together. Uh, starting in verse 1. Jesus says this, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. So connect with the three people in this story, right? We have God the Father, we have who is the gardener, we have Jesus, who is the vine, the grapevine, um, and we have us, people, who are the branches connected to the vine. Um, continuing on, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you, the gospel. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. 
those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does, does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch that withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be given to you. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Verse 9, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide everything in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father, this Father will give you whatever you ask. Using my name, this is my command, love each other. So much happening in this passage. So much powerful stuff. And um, unfortunately, I can't get to everything. But this illustration of, of the grape, um, the grapevine, is really, really important. And it, was, you know, it made sense for them. That's why God is using, chooses this, or Jesus uses this as the illustration. But Amory and I got to spend a little time in wine country this last summer. Um, my parents live in San Francisco. We went to Sonoma, Napa for a couple of days. And if you've never been up there or been in wine country, um, it's basically like the entire economic system, structure, foundation, is based on, on grapes and winemaking. And, and you go from small town to small town, and the entire industry in every single town is wine. Like, that's it. That's all they do. And, I mean, obviously there's people doing other things. But if, if the grapes were to all die, these towns would disappear. And, and you drive down these small roads between these towns that are just lined as far as you can see with, with vineyards. And there's always, like, far off in the distance, like a castle that's the winery where they make the wine and cellar it. And, and then they send it back into the town um, where they have all these nice little tasting rooms. And these streets are just flooded with people all day walking from one winery to the next. It's, it's incredible. It's just, it doesn't even feel like real life. Well, my wife and I were walking around in town, and we, we went into one of these tasting rooms, and it happened to be, like, totally empty, which was really cool because we got basically like full access to the winemaker. And he's in there and he's doing some other work and he doesn't really look up at us at first, but we walk in and we sit down and he starts talking like, what can I get for you? Eventually he looks up um, and he starts to engage with us. And we ended up having like an hour and a half with this winemaker and he basically told us like everything we could possibly want to know about making wine and I didn't remember any of it. So it doesn't really matter. But one thing stood out to me that was really, really, really significant. He, he was talking about the climate. He was talking about where to get the best grapes. If you don't know this, like up in, um, up in this part of the, the country, like the Cabernet grape, is, it's the best. And everybody knows it worldwide. I did remember something. Um, so he's talking about these grapes, and I'm, we're like, why is it better here? And he's like, well, it's a climate issue. But a lot of times it's because the farmers up here have really learned how to, um, how to um, put stress on the grapes. And I was like, what? What does that really mean? And he, he goes, well, um, the best, the, the vines that are the most stressed and have to struggle the most throughout the year produce the best fruit. And I was just like, oh, man, there's like a million illustrations in that. <laughs> right? He's like preaching my sermon for me right now. 
But the reason this stands out for me in these moments is because this illustration that, that, that Jesus is using, it comes to us in this context of, of remaining on the vine. And he, and he talked about how these grapes, um, when they were struggling, when they, were, they make them struggle by not giving enough water to them. And they have to actually grow down really, really deep to find good soil and to find water. And these branches that are connected to the vine, their only hope is to stay on this vine. Because the only source of any nutrients whatsoever is coming from the vine. These tiny little branches, they would have no hope otherwise. And it's this incredible picture of of what this passage is saying. And and Jesus knew this. and, And the way he paid attention to culture is so incredibly cool. We all probably need to be better at it than... We are, but he was paying attention to culture and speaking a language that they understood. And essentially what he is saying is, you have to stay connected to me. And there's just a few more things that I want you to connect with in this moment. When we remain in him, the vine, Jesus, we become kingdom fruit bearers. We become life givers. We become powerful. And this is what it means. This is what it looks like to live as priests, to identify as priests. Um, Verse 10, when you obey my commandments, this is back to Exodus 19, I'm sorry, this is John 15, verse 10, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. There's this connection to our willingness to submit, surrender, obey what God is calling us to that connects us to real life. In Exodus 19, it connected them to the Father, their obedience to his commands, to to the Ten Commandments, to the whole law. It connected them and made them useful. For us, it's about staying connected intimately with Jesus because he is the true vine, but it's still about obeying his commands. The exact same language that God used in Exodus 19, obey my commands. But in this case, Jesus is using the idea of obeying as the gateway to real life, to survival even. It's a call to an intimate connection, an intentional pursuit, a purposeful and life-shaping connection with God the Father It is in this context that we become a kingdom of priests. We take a closer look. Um, There are these themes in this passage that are are striking at the heart of what it means to be a kingdom space builder, a priest, a follower of Jesus, and I want you to see them. Remember as we do, as we walk through this, um, identity always precedes behavior. Always. It's identity first, but our lives matter. How we live our lives matter. So number one, Uh, My life is supposed to produce kingdom fruit. Um, This is where it starts, and it's essentially what we're talking about in this this big picture to this series, and you cannot miss it, right? It's plain language. Jesus is like, he's not beating around any bushes. Yes, I am the vine, he says in verse 5. You're the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch that withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it'll be granted to you. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. There's this really basic and plain and simple like reality that Jesus is trying to help uh, people understand. He's trying to help us understand. Um, the, life, the life of a follower of Jesus produces fruit. We are supposed to produce fruit. Jesus is saying, hey, grapevines are supposed to produce grapes. Yeah, great, thanks, Jesus. That's super obvious, right? It's, it's almost like you got any new material? Like, 
Of course, we know, and this is something Jesus is doing on purpose. He does the same thing in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, the salt of the earth and light of the world. What good is salt if it's, if it's tasteless? What good is a light if you hide it? Jesus is doing this sort of like obvious sarcasm, right? It doesn't make sense. A light that doesn't light? Salt that is, that is tasteless? A grapevine that doesn't produce fruit? This is an identity thing. He's trying to help us see that, that, that these two things are so incredibly linked. And it wouldn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for a follower of Jesus to produce no kingdom fruit. It'd be as ridiculous as salt that doesn't produce flavor. Or a grapevine that can't grow grapes. Or a light that can't shine. You've got to connect with this for a minute. It's convicting, right? And as we've been talking about this kingdom space issue, I've already laid the, found, the, the, the foundation for this, right? You have the opportunities every single day to create these kingdom spaces where kingdom fruit can happen. You are already equipped. You have everything that it takes. But the simple reality we have to connect with, we have to connect with, is that followers of Jesus produce kingdom fruit. There's no way around it. You were meant to produce much fruit. Right? 1 Peter 2.9 You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that, why are we those things? Why are we identified as a kingdom of priests, a holy nation? So that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is kingdom fruit. That's it. You were given life for the purpose of producing more life. Not to sit on it. Not to look at it. Not to enjoy it, but to give it away. Next, number two. Remaining connected to the Father will ensure that I bear fruit. And conversely, not remaining connected to the Father will ensure that I never, ever bear fruit. This is another simple, like, duh. And this is what Jesus is doing very purposefully. Uh, people have got to be listening to going, this is, this is like, why are you saying this to us? We obviously know that if you cut a branch off of a tree, it's not going to produce fruit. Duh. Yeah, he's trying to make it that simple. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is, if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. It's like this simple formula. He is our source of life. Jesus connects us to the Father. Jesus gives us the ability to live out our identity as salt and light, as a kingdom of priests. It's the only way. It's the only way. Um, it might trigger you to say, yeah, great, Jake, so what? What does it mean to remain in him? That's maybe easier said than done. Well, I think Jesus has an answer for that right here. The problem is, um, it's not an answer we like. It's not an answer that's easy. It's not an answer that like, creates comfort in me. It's an answer that pushes me to the edges of myself. Um, number three, obedience to God's commands is what keeps me connected to the heart of God. Sometimes God spells it out for us. In this case, he does. It's obedience. This goes back to, our, to the original covenant, doesn't it? All of relationship with God for broken people, it comes in the context of surrender. 
It comes into the context of, of, of recognizing that he is God and I am not, and I don't make my own way, I don't make my own rules. It's the only way life and faith make any sense. It's the only way they can be remotely powerful. It comes in the context of obedience. If you obey my commands, you will be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. This is always and always will be the heart of faith on earth, life with Jesus, obedience. The essence of life as a follower of Jesus is obedience. We're going to come back to this in the coming weeks and and talk about it more, but it says it straight up in verse 10 of John chapter 15. It tells us what it means to obey his commands. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love. How do we remain in God's love? How do we stay connected to the vine? Obey his commands. Just as I obey my Father's commands and remain in his love. What's really interesting to me about this verse is that obedience is not being used as a means for pleasing God or making ourselves good. It's not for the sake of cleaning up or the sake of appearing righteous, right? Obedience isn't a means to like better standing with God and I know how easy it is for us to, to like go there. God will be more happy with me if I obey his commands. That's not at all what's happening in John chapter 15. Not for one second. He's saying, hey, you want life from the vine? Obey my commands. You want to remain in me and produce fruit? Obey my commands. It's not about pleasing God. It's about being useful in his hands. It's for the sole purpose of staying connected to the vine so that we can, in turn, produce much fruit. Obedience to the will of the Father, then, is the silver bullet for living as priests. It's the only way to be these kingdom space builders, to become people who transform every environment we're in to one that brings life and hope and and more freedom than it was there to begin with. This is what God is doing on earth and wants us to join him in it. To be those kinds of people, we have to remain in him. To remain in him means obeying his commands. So then, what does it mean to obey? Thankfully, in John chapter 15, Jesus tells us that too. It's crazy how plain and simple he makes it for us. And, and this, is, this is where it gets super exciting. If you had an outline, it'd be number four. Sacrificial love is the essence of what I am called to live. Starting in verse 12. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I've loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for a friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. Another crazy verse. I no longer call you slaves because... Because, uh, sorry, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friend since I have told you everything the Father told me. God, it's nuts. That's a whole nother sermon. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. What do you know? The, the, the lasting fruit is coming back into the picture so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. First off, notice this. This is like the conclusion of this little message right? And he is putting, like connecting the dots, and he's saying, here's how you obey my commands. Here's my command, and there's one. It's love one another, and he starts with it, and he ends with it. They're like bookends. How do we remain in his love? How do we remain in him? Obey his command. What's his command? Love each other. You are absolutely equipped to do that today, right now, in these moments. It's everyone you come in contact with, no matter what, Specifically, Jesus in this context is talking to, to like them with one another, like love each other right there really, really well. 
And Jesus says over and over, people will know that you are not my disciples because you love one another. This is what it means. This is, what it, this is the only thing in these moments, in this like, almost like silver bullet kind of a moment. It's the only thing that he actually calls them to do. Nothing else. So when I use the word obey, what we're looking at here is choosing to obey God when he tells us just love each other really well. Like just love like crazy. Sacrificially, right? He says, like I have loved you, and that's where it gets really, really tough. Because real love, this kind of love, obedience to this kind of love means we're going to be loving people that don't love us back. We're going to love people who want to take advantage of us, who want to, who want to take from us, who want to crucify us. His example, love one another. Our truth this morning is really simple. The way I live my life matters. Our identity is clear, salt, light, priest, bridge, bridge builder, life giver, kingdom space creator. The way we do that is by loving people exceptionally well. And the only thing we have to do to begin walking into that journey is to get over our own selfish pride. And we've talked about taking time for people. Loving people means taking time for people. We're too distracted most of the time to even see what people are dealing with, to love them where they're at. If we're going to remain in him, and he's going to remain in us, and we need to be obedient to his commands. When we do, we, we, we embrace this identity as a kingdom of priests, all the way back to Exodus chapter 19, when he told the first people, hey, we got a deal here, all you got to do is obey my commands. And when they did, they were in relationship with God. And it comes all the way full circle to us. If you want to remain in me, all you have to do is love people. Obey my commands. Love people really, really, really well. It all begins with identity, but apart from action, identity is meaningless. Salt that can't make things salty is useless. Light that lights up nothing is sad. A vine that produces no grapes is cut off, thrown away, it's dead. And I want to end with this. Our choice to love sacrificially in this world comes from a heart position that recognizes how he loved us first. So then our love to others is simply the correct response to what we have received. As the, um, the rest of the worship team comes back up, um, I just want to read this, verse 12 and 13, one more time, John chapter 15. Love each other. In the same way that I have loved you, there is no greater love than to lay down your life. This is the context that we're called to love in. And this is where it gets really, really hard. This is the essence of a life lived as a kingdom of priests. You have, you have what it takes because you are what it takes. You are. And it begins with embracing that identity and then recognizing living that identity means choosing to surrender to what God wants to do. And man, is this a long process. Long process. But man, is it fun to watch somebody enter into that process and begin living it out. I just want to end um, with a story. And um, many of you know Lindsay Mike because she um, does an amazing job with our kids. An amazing job. And, and ask your kids if you have one, what do you think of Lindsay Mike? And you're going to hear what I'm talking about. But what I love most, what I've seen most, and partly because... She's like my wife's best friend, so I get to see it a little, a little more up close and personal, but I've watched her submit herself to what God wants for her life as much as anybody I've seen in the last, like, 
10 years. And it's a struggle, like most of the time, which if it isn't, it probably isn't real. Um, but I saw this quote um, that, she, that she put up on one, I don't know, some social media um, venue. Um, but it, it just said this, real simple. This week, I've spent a lot of time worshiping God for his creativity and how uniquely he made each one of us and gifted us in different ways. Praying those gifts would be revealed and used to further his kingdom. And this is the heart of what I'm talking about. And what I sensed in these words, when you talk about people being unique, what I sense is a person who's learned how to see value in people, all people, all the time. No matter who they are, no matter where they're at, they see value in people. This is where it begins. This is where that heart for loving and laying down, down our lives for another person begins. And the behavior follows. Watch all week long and you will see her running around, setting up, loving your kids. You'll see her Monday through Friday putting middle schoolers in her car and taking them to her house just to love on them. And they love hanging out with her. You see it within her family. This is the heart of a person who's choosing every day to lean a little bit more into what this means, what this looks like. Is she perfect at it? You can ask her. Because <laughs> none of us are, and we don't have to be. But this is where God enters into our lives when we are willing to simply say, I submit, I surrender, I, I give in, I, I want to obey, I want to remain in you. I want you to transform the inner workings of my heart so that I can become somebody who can say something like this, that I will lay down my life for the sake of remaining in him so that I can produce much fruit. This is what it means to be a kingdom person. Father God, we need... We need you to do something in our, in our hearts and our lives that we can't accomplish on our own, but I'm blown away by the fact that you gave us such a simple, uh, simple job to do. This obedience thing is really wrapped up in our willingness to, to love, and you have created us fully capable of loving. Um, thank you for creating us that way. Thank you for giving us everything that we need. Thank you for showing us what it actually looks like to begin with. And then thank you for believing in us enough. Believing in us enough to uh, allow us to be part of what you're doing in this world. God, we love you and we worship you and we give you our time today in Jesus' name. Amen.